On this episode, our final of four episodes celebrating women during Women's History Month in March, hiking in Washington, lungs, and women of color who summit. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. Your hosts, Severia Tilden, Jeff Hester, and Jason Fitzpatrick. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure podcast. Once again, we are doing our March Month of Women, where we do a podcast every week for Women's History Month. And we are really excited today to have Nashra Mazhar. Nashra, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Thank you so much. Um, and thank you for having me. As Mary mentioned, I'm Nasha Mazhar. I am doing a fundraising climb with the American Lung Association uh, to raise funds for the amazing organization. So the American Lung Association has four strategic imperatives to defeat lung cancer, champion clean air for all, improve the quality of life for those who have lung disease, and create a tobacco-free future. Um, I have been really invested in working with the American Lung Association for a number of years. And so I'm really happy to bring this opportunity um, of an all women of color team to the program we call the Climb for Clean Air. It's really great because awesome. it's the only mountain program in the country. So Washington gets to be kind of the spearhead of where this program goes in the future. So we are climbing Mount Tahoma, also known as Mount Rainier. And right now there are 11 women of color on the team, which is a lot more than I would have imagined. That's amazing. And tell us about the fundraising part of it. How did you pull the team together? How did the women decide to be on the team? Yeah, um, so I this program has been going on for 35 years. And so upon learning that they'd never done a woman of color climb, I was like, okay, this is what I am gonna do. Um, and I had connected with Teresa Silvera after a really tough summer of of being like the token brown kid on all of my summer adventures, but specifically my attempt for Mount Tahoma. And I just remember sitting with a friend in my backyard and just crying about how awkward and weird it was. And also how I didn't feel like I could say anything about it. Um, and she's like, oh, you need to connect with Teresa Silvera. She's amazing and she's gonna help you like make this happen for next year. And I connected with her and I was like, hey, is this, do you think this is a good idea? And she was like, heck yes, let's make it happen. Um, so she just like posted on social media and I was like, oh yeah, maybe like two or three people will respond. Like 40 some women from multiple different states replied, uh, just, you know, wow. wanting to know more about the climb. So it was really special. And none of us had ever met. <laughs> have you Have you met since then? Yes. So now I've at least met the girls who live in Washington and in Oregon. We do have a girl who lives in California. And so we obviously haven't met her yet, but it was probably like two and a half months before we were able to get everyone together. And there are still teammates that have not met each other. It's very interesting because we talk daily. Like we are on a group chat and we message back and forth about every little donation of support we have or how we're going to fundraise. And it's so interesting that some of them have never met each other. When is your climb? Yeah, so the climb is June 21st through June 24th. And um, it's a four day approach kind of for intro to climbing. Um, so really it's meant for anyone. Uh, that being said, we have to fundraise all of 
the 55,000 by May 1st. So it's, it's quite, it's not that far away. (laughs) (laughs) And you guys have already done an amazing job with fundraising. Um, You're over, is it, you're definitely over 20,000, right? Yes. Yeah. We have been, I mean, I've just been so impressed with the women all coming in being like, we have no idea how to fundraise. And now we're in the lead at 28,000, which is amazing. So way, well over halfway. I just, I hope you have better conditions than when Jeff and I tried it last year. We, we, we had a pretty, uh, pretty rough go of it. Oh no. What month did you? We were May. We were like, what, the second or the third team up. And, um, yeah, 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 it was, it was, uh, it was very, uh, well, it was interesting. Let's just say that Mm -hmm. it was, um, I, yeah. I am confident you're going to have a great weather window. Yes. It's going to be, it's going to go really well. I'm going to be positive. I'm going to be positive. And I'm going to be really jealous of all of your summit photos. So, uh, I'm saying, I'm sending positive vibes your way. Yes, me too. I I have, I think (laughs) you're, you're smarter than Jeff and I, and you're doing it at a time that's more, more conducive to actually making it up. Cause I don't think anyone made it. No, I think one group made it a week after us, but then like no one for like until like June. So I think you'll have a much better chance than us, but it was, uh, yeah, it was an experience. <laughs> yeah, I so this is my third attempt. So I feel like I know, and third time's a charm, right? Like this yeah. is gonna be so great to yep. do it with all these women of color cheering me on. But the first time I did, I got altitude sickness. And that was like, mm-hmm. you know, very, just so difficult to overcome. It was like perfect conditions for a summit. And then having to say like, oh, I'm gonna turn around because I feel like trash. Like I need to turn around yeah. for my safety. Um, and then this year, this past summer, because of like the heat wave, everything past near was like rock. There was so little snow that we were walking crampons on rock. And just like that screeching sound that you would imagine, uh, like nails on a chalkboard. It was horrible. But it broke my crampon. So like my toe bail came off and I had enough duct tape to last like another hour. And I ran out of duct tape and I had to turn around. Oh, no. That sounds like our trip, right, Jeff? I'm actually joking. We had three feet of snow. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, while we were yeah. climbing. we Our tents were almost buried at high camp yeah. it, over the night. It was, yeah. it was pretty wild. Yeah. It was an adventure, for sure. It was. It was. But, Nashra, uh, obviously you said, you know, you kind of grew up and you felt like you were, you know, the only, like, brown cut on the trip. But why don't you, how did you get started in the outdoors? When did you first start hiking? And, and you know, how did it lead you to this? Yeah, good question. I um, I guess it's silly to say, like, growing up in Washington especially, like, I never really hiked ever until I was in my early 20s. And, of course, you know, I went on this trip that I was incredibly ill-prepared for to Glacier National Park with some friends. And I remember bringing, like, this Bluetooth speaker and this lantern, and my friends were like, whoa 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 you cannot go backpacking much less climb a mountain with all of these things and my understanding was like oh this is gonna be like a glamping trip um but then that made me realize like oh man this is such a challenging and exciting thing to have as like an outlet in my life um so then I just in I feel like true Nashra fashion went way too hard way too soon (laughs) and was like I'm gonna do 200 hikes in Washington and then after that I'm gonna be a mountaineer I remember telling my partner like I'm gonna be a mountaineer and he was like you're not there yet but if that's what you want to do like I will help you (laughs) um and just you know moving from just being a glorified couch potato 
to like someone who is like athletic, which I would never call myself, you know, in past years, um, it's just a really crazy transition. So did you get your 200 hikes in? Yes, I did. It took like three and a half years. (laughs) That's amazing. And how did you start your mountaineering journey? Yeah, so I had kind of always set out to do that. But I thought that I needed like this, you know, rap list of all of these feats before I could be some someone so cool to be like a mountaineer. Um, And so by the time I was really gearing up towards, you know, learning how to do like Z pulleys and learning all my knots, I like did an intro to climb with um, AI up in Bellingham for Mount Baker. Turns out like I didn't need any of that. Like I was incredibly overprepared for this introductory climb. Um, And, you know, I, I, on that climb, I hit the crater rim, which was like, you know, mountaineer summit. And then I just did it again this past summer. So, and that was in 2016. It's probably better to be like overprepared than underprepared, <laughs> yeah. though. Yeah. Right? In mountaineering. Mountaineering. You don't really hear ever anyone like, oh, yeah, he died on Everest because he was overprepared. <laughs> right. So, I mean, like, you know, <laughs> you're doing it right, I think is what I'm trying to say. You're, you have the right approach for it. Yeah, I think um, I, I like to overprepare. So, I think that that's a good thing. <laughs> So I'm curious, how did you all choose the woman who ended up in the 11? Because you said over 40 women were interested in express interest. Yeah. So, you know, while I'd love to say that we have like this really strategic plan all leveled out, it really was like, okay, do you have a degree of physical fitness? And like, are we vibing? Is this like a thing? <laughs> are we getting along? Um, so I did like a phone call with everyone, tried to do on video if we could to be like, okay, you know, do we care about the same things? Do we have the same like gung ho kind of power that I was looking for? Cause I'm, I like have way too much energy. So it's nice to have it be matched. <laughs> um, and so, you know, through that process, we had a couple women who, you know, were really uncomfortable with the fundraising aspect of it. And so that kind of was a deterrence. And we talked about, you know, figuring what the out, what that looks like for future years and maybe having them next year or something. That's cool that you're already thinking about next year. So you're looking at maybe doing this as an annual event, maybe different mountains or what are your, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah. So it's kind of odd because, so I've always done the climb for clean air, which is this mountain program that, you know, the American Lung Association has, but this is the first year where I just like kind of upended my life and switched careers so I could work at the American Lung Association. So now I'm an employee there and it's like my dream job, which I'm like, what happens once you get your dream job? Do you just like peak there and that's it for you? (laughs) Um, But so I'm team captain and this employee. So I'm looking into how to make it more sustainable so that I don't, I'm not, you know, recruiting women and um, just advertising, you know, and supporting someone else getting the opportunity to be a team captain. It kind of makes sense that you work there because if there's one activity where you feel and know that your lungs exist, it is mountaineering. Yes. So that's, <laughs> was that what led, I mean, was that what led you to want to work there? Is that how you kind of got into it through your mountaineering and through, and through that process? Yeah, um, definitely. So I, you know, I've had my fair share of lung issues mm-hmm. um, and then I lost my grandpa to lung cancer. And so it was something that I always was very, you know, it it was just very important for me to be an advocate for. Um, But then, you know, after climb this, this 
winter or this past summer just like venting about like work and the stresses of like working 50 hours a week and just like being exhausted like so many people were you know during the pandemic and still are um one of the employees of the American Lung Association was like why don't you email me like just send me your resume and then like a month later asked me if I wanted to apply for this position and I was just so honored and obviously needed like to really look at what is my life going to be like moving um, from a field that I had like seven years, you know, of experience in to fundraising. But I feel like I was built for fundraising. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So as far as the fundraising piece, um, I mean, we'll we'll put this in the show notes and we'll do more. But uh, Adventurous Woman is helping support the fundraising efforts for the month of March for uh, women of color. So um, I don't know. Nashra, do you want to do you want to tell what we're what our fundraising efforts are for you guys? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, when we reached out, we we didn't really know what we were looking for, um, and Severia was great enough to like come up with this plan for us to be able to partner together and send us some things to auction off, which is going to be great um, at an in person event we have, and then looking at kind of you know, how do we incentivize people to donate, but then also become advocates for Adventure First Women. And so we are going to be doing $100 off for of a climb, or sorry, an adventure, when they donate $100 to the climb. And then when they donate $1,000 or more, they'll get entered to win um, a $500 gift card for an escape as um, that we'll draw for at the end of the month of March. So, so it's very exciting. Hoping to get those fundraising efforts going in March. And then where are your in-person events going to be? Because I know you had, you've had some success with your in-person fundraising. Yeah. So, you know, big shout out to all the breweries I've been working with. I just saw that Washington Beer uh, blog, like put a blog up about us. <laughs> but I'm like, when it comes to mountains, like, what do I think of? I think of beer apparently and dogs and all these breweries let you bring dogs in which is just like you know so important to me so we reached out to all these breweries and optimism was our first one they uh, hosted us last month and so for this month um every single day this month georgetown brewing um is going to be donating a dollar every single pint purchased for all 31 days and so we are tabling there on Thursdays in the evening between like 4 to 7 p.m. ish um, and we'll have items to auction off and um, just talk to people about like you know hey thanks for drinking beer like you're donating to us Um, and then very excitingly we have a kind of like live music event on Friday the 11th down in Portland at Hammer and Stitch Brewing. And how many of the women are from Washington and how many are from Oregon? Yeah, so we have three women in Washington, or sorry, in Oregon, oh, six women counting me in Washington, and then um, one in California, and I'm definitely misplacing some of them. because that doesn't quite add up there. <laughs> As someone that just loves hiking in Washington, the, the opportunity to talk to someone that's done, was it 200 or 300 hikes? 200. 200 <laughs> hikes in Washington. What are some of your favorite hikes in Washington? Oh, gosh. That is such a tough question. I mean, I'm so biased towards Washington. I, this is the only place I've ever lived that I can remember, you know, before immigrating to the States. And 
I, it's so hard because I just see Washington. I'm like, everything is beautiful. <laughs> um, but I think so definitely the Olympics has like a special place in my heart because it is so different with a lot of the old growth forest out there. Um, and out there, you know, a good friend of mine took me on a backpacking trip to Lake of the Angels, which was just phenomenal and heavenly, so to speak. Um, and the Necklace Valley in the North Cascades, I think is very, very special. And, you know, definitely looks like a piece out of a Tolkien book or something. Um, so I think those are probably ones I would say, those are pretty accessible. Where's the Necklace Valley? That sounds amazing. That is in the North Cascades. So off of Highway 20, I think, Highway 2, one of those. <laughs> Um, and it's just like polka dotted with all these lakes and it's phenomenal. I'm very, there's so much left to explore out there. What, what are the hikes that you're doing for training? I'm assuming that's a big part of your training plan yeah. for this, right? Yes, for sure. It's so not glamorous. Like I wish I could say like, oh, we're adventuring every weekend out, but it's like, no, I'm going to go do the stairs at Golden Gardens during the week and like maybe get out for a hike on the weekend. Um, so just shorter hikes, I think cable line trail is a great one that I did a lot in the past. So if I can get out there, um, that'd be great. And then simple ones, like just doing poo poo point and just timing myself, adding weight, um, before work kind of in the morning. So it's not too busy. And then, yeah, just trying to do stairs, which, you know, put some weight in my backpack and hope they can build up from there. Now, you've mentioned you do backpacking. Is that something you do a lot, or is it more often day hikes and then, like, every once in a while backpacking? Um, I feel like I do, like, the car camp the night before and then, like, hike out the next morning, and I'd love to do a little bit more backpacking this summer. It's interesting because I feel like the last few summers of my life have all revolved around Mount Tahoma, and she's just, like, the one that gets away every summer, so I've been, like, very just, like, single-minded about about this. <laughs> So Severia, you want to tell us what it's like from high camp to the top? Because because you know apparently I don't think any of the <laughs> the other three of us on this podcast have been above there. So. Well, I don't, I don't know that. How high did you go, Nostra? Did you go above uh, Ingram? So when I did it on the Emmons side, I got to like twelve thousand two hundred. So it was pretty. I mean, sounds so close, but like was hours away. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was a suffer fest. So when I did it, it was in September, and so everyone oh. joked. Yeah, everyone joked. They were like, "So the good news is." all the crevasses are open. The bad news is all the crevasses are open. <laughs> I just remember being like, oh, great. And at some point you just like, don't even think about it. You're just like stepping over them. You're like, whatever. Um, but yeah, no, I think my big learning from that trip was I was not um, hydrated enough. So I had been training with a camelback. And then when you're up there, they have you do Nalgene's because they don't want the tubes to freeze. And so I got really dehydrated because I wasn't used to that. Like stop, drink, 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 drink like keep going um yeah it was a bit of a suffer fest um you're not selling this man i know but i think hydrate 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 (laughs) like that's my like i think that's my big takeaway is hydration and off and honestly the thing that got me through was my friend that i went with and the group i had actually three friends on the trip everyone was so positive and to your point nashra like it's the vibe like so much of it is like the energy and the vibe and who's on your rope team and you know, my friend Shelby was like, you got this. And I was like, and even though I was like, I don't got this, <laughs> you know, like she's like, we're doing it. Um, 
so yeah, I definitely think that having the, the right, having the right vibe and having that sort of everyone supporting each other on the highs and lows is really important. It makes a huge difference. You mentioned that uh, you like dogs. Do you have a dog? <laughs> I do. I have oh, a perfect angel of a dog. And obviously I'm biased, but his name is Hobbs and he's a blue-nosed pit bull. And um, my partner is a dog obedience trainer and kind of dog rehab trainer, um, working with dogs who have high aggression issues. And so not that Hobbs has aggression issues, but he is just so incredibly well-trained where he will like dance on his hind legs. He will cuddle on command, which is like definitely something I advocated to train early on. <laughs> um, so yeah, he is our second dog that I just cannot get over how cute he is. <laughs> we'll oh, definitely have awesome. to put him in the show notes. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Do, do you hike, do you guys, do you hike with, uh, with him often or do you? I, so I try to, I know during training though, I like, I'm not being as accommodating to him as I would like to be rather than just being like, go, go, go. Um, so I haven't been what, during the training season, I guess. They like to stop and smell the, smell the roses, you know, so to speak. <laughs> they like to forest bathe more than any of us know how. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are any of the women on the team going to be able to get together for training hikes leading up to it? Do you guys have any plan to sort of team team vibe, team camaraderie stuff going? Um, yes, we have quite a bit. So, I mean, we um, in Washington have decided to do concessions at the Sounders games to raise funds, which is just like in a great opportunity. And so working at like, pizza hut or whatever uh concession stand we have at the sounders games has been really like a good bonding experience for us in washington i know the girls in oregon have tried to climb together and hike together as much as they can um but the big one like the we're gonna go all do adams together and have it be like this dry run where we eat the same things we like wear the same things we just try to to a t replicate what we want to do on the, the big climb and then that'll be in may so it'll be maybe the first time a lot of them meet each other. <laughs> That's awesome. And are you going to do that guided or just solo? We're going to do it solo. We have enough, I think, ex expertise amongst all of us. And then are you, is the Tahoma trip guided through the yes. society? Yes. And who's so the partner the, with that? Um, RMI. RMI has been like a longstanding partner of the American Lung Association. Uh, a lot of this program actually started because of the Whitakers. Um, when Lou Whitaker was retiring, you know, people were asking him to take take him up mountains. And he was like, I will take you up mountains, but you have to donate to the American Lung Association. And so that's how the that's program cool. started like 35 years ago. Yeah. That's amazing. It's very special. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now do you think this, are you going to try, I think you might have mentioned this before, so I apologize if I'm repeating, but do you think you'll switch, try some other peaks, you know, make this like an international thing? Do you think, are there other peaks just in the U.S. you want to try? Where, where does this go after, after this one? Yeah. So, I mean, for, for the part of my job, like I definitely want to look at what else we can climb being the only mountain program in the country. Um, for myself, I've always joked that after I sub it to Homa that I'm going to like retire and learn how to knit and like become this homebody. But like as I'm approaching my next attempt, I'm just like, no, that's not going to happen, is it? <laughs> um, you know, I definitely want to do the Cascade 5, like volcanoes. But this past couple of months, I've been floating the idea of just 
doing my homage to like Washington state. Cause I just am in love with this state and just doing the PCT portion in Washington, which again, I'm so biased is going to be beautiful. And like, you know, starting at the top and literally move my way throughout the state and, and really just honor this beautiful state I get to live in. What part of Washington do you live in? I'm in Seattle now. Nice. I grew up in Eastern Washington, okay. like, thick of the desert, you know? <laughs> so it's very different being out here where it's so lush and like rainy and then quite literally living in the desert. <laughs> before. I grew up in Woodenville, so my folks okay, still live nice. there. So yeah, have my That's Northwest awesome. roots. Yeah. I keep saying like, if I ever move, it's going to be international because nothing will compare to what I, I mean, I've been so lucky to travel a lot between work and family and all these things that I've never seen anything prettier have you so have you done any hiking adventures in your travels um I've done like some some travel hikes kind of in between working but not not really so there's a lot left to explore I have this you know big ideology where I really want to explore my backyard before I look at other people's backyards or like other countries backyards and so part of me is like there's so much I haven't done in Washington I just started hiking in Oregon um, there's so much left here to explore that I'm not like looking into like, you know, going to ever space camp or anything like that till I've really understood the land that I live on. You haven't even mentioned California yet, you know, <laughs> I know it's just below there, you know, <laughs> is that, is that your plan? Are you working your way South? You know, you're Washington through Oregon, and then you're going to trickle down into California and, and start doing that. Or are you a hater? Are you like, no, no, forget California. I'm not right there. <laughs> I just love the Pacific Northwest, so I don't know how I feel about California yet. And I've, I've explored like up north into Banff and Jasper and Yoho, like in Calgary um, in Canada. And so more bias there <laughs> as well. Um, but beautiful, beautiful areas in the Northwest. You mentioned that, that you, you immigrated here. How old were you when you moved here and, and where did you immigrate from? Yeah, so I was actually born in Saudi Arabia um, when my parents worked for the, the government there. And then I moved, we, we are originally from India. So we moved back to India um, and I came to the States when I was about four and a half or five. I was really, really sick as a baby. So basically like right as I got healthy enough, we immigrated to the States. And you had mentioned um, like lung stuff has been a big part of your um, your passion. Was, was that childhood stuff as well? And so is that why this is like such a passion? Yeah, definitely. Um, having like lasting effects from, from being so sick when I was young. And then, you know, being in the States now and just being so heavily exposed to wildfires, like it's so so difficult to be like oh i can't go outside peak summer because i won't be able to breathe okay and just having that be doubled down during fire season and just seeing how that has affected so many people um, in my life and then early on in my my partner and i relationship we talked a lot about cystic fibrosis and um so it's just been it's been omnipresent through everything and it's like you know what the fun fact is is like we all have lungs like we can all relate in some way or another especially now after covid being like this lung disease it's been obviously very very important to me now especially and and were you in the medical field before you 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 started working here you you mentioned you had another career was that was that medical or was that something else completely different yeah. in nature i always joke that i'm a med school dropout um but i was working at a medical nonprofit that uh, restore sight through transplanting corneas. Um, and I was a, 
a surgeon trainer internationally and writing curriculum for corneal surgeons to basically improve their quality and quantity of corneal surgeries. Um, and I done that forever. So it feels like forever. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was all kind of medical related before that I worked in the ER. Um, so I was just always surrounded by, by medicine and definitely was like, I'm going to be a doctor. And then I discovered like global health and public health and just how much more, uh, I resonated with that. Um, so now it's, I get to be this advocate more domestically. Very cool. And so how long have you been with the lung association? Yeah. And this is going to sound so fair and girly, but I just started there in September and I've just been obsessed. <laughs> so <laughs> I've been, um, it hasn't even been like, you know, six full months yet, but it, it feels like the right fit. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's very special. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's so hard to find like a job that, you know, that you like, you know, <laughs> that you yeah. can, you know what I mean? That's, that's so fantastic that you did. It feels like the perfect kind of mesh of Venn diagrams, like in my personal life and in my professional life. Um, you know, I always have fundraised on the side of a lot of my endeavors and no matter what I was doing. So this is cool to just have it be a, in the outdoor spaces, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I am pretty single-minded about things. And so I would love to speak a little bit to just the women of color piece. I think you know, so many of us are just like fast friends and like instantaneously have come together and shared life experience um, in the good and the bad, right? So, so many of us have had incredibly marginalizing experiences and, and, and had to experience that in every field of our life. But then further, when we decided to become outdoor advocates and adventurers, um, so that's been really, really tough. And, you know, we still hear from people like hey diversity isn't a problem in the outdoors and you're like wait what did it we beg to differ um and so it's just interesting trying to educate people about why this is important and why this we need to be able to talk about these things um because we all have had now we're like so close and we talk regularly and it really does pull us together because we've been so isolated in these experiences um, so I think a lot of, a lot of times I want to tell people like, be as inclusive as you possibly can be. You know, sometimes I go to trailheads and I notice like they don't even have, uh, disability access and it's like the outdoors should be for everyone. And we need to be like talking about that. Um, especially when we talk about power and privilege and how that shows up in the outdoor spaces. Um, so I think that's kind of my big, big one. Like. So what do you think people in the outdoor community can do to make marginalized people feel more welcome? Like what, 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 do you, what is it that you see that you think needs to happen that, that isn't, is, isn't happening at this point or what can we do to make it better? Yeah, that's such a great question, Lucy, because I feel like so many people are like, well, we're obviously welcoming, but it's like if your welcomeness doesn't land and isn't re like received, people aren't going to feel welcomed. I think a big piece is um, – you know, so many people in the outdoor spaces are just like experts. They have such a wealth of knowledge when it comes to like safety and animal safety and packing and doing these things. And it's the barrier to access just financially is huge. And so unless you have friends who can educate you on like how to pack a day pack, even you're not going to really feel ready to just, you know, throw a backpack on and go out into the wild. And so I think sharing that opportunity and inviting people into those opportunities, you know, for me, 
every new person I meet, I'm like, hey, this is something I do. Do you want to come out and do this with me? Like, I will walk you through everything. There's no stupid questions. And really making that humility piece, um, it, I think it really helps um, increase inclusion when you're just like, you know, there's everyone starts somewhere. Some of us bring a Bluetooth speaker on a backpacking trip <laughs> and a lantern and, you know, just not making them folks feel you know, insecure about that and showing a lot of humility, like, hey, this is where you're at and it's okay, I think will go a long way. Yeah. Everyone overpacks, you know, when they start, right? <laughs> and depending on who you ask, some of us still do, you know, so it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, there's <laughs> no shame in that, right? And then I think, you know, the other, I think something that we've talked about in, in our team was like these code words that we have when we do feel kind of like down and we do feel kind of like, oh gosh, I'm getting caught up in my own, own head and I'm struggling. And I think being able to normalize, like, hey, it's okay to just like be in your feels and not have a good day, I think will really help folks feel inclusive. You know, we have, my code word is pineapple. And so it's like, if I say pineapple, I need you to rally me up. I need you to be like, you're a badass, you climb mountains. Um, and just like, you know, really pull me out of my own gutter. And so being able to say like, it's okay if you feel like you're the slowest climber. Like, you got this. The slowest climber still gets up a mountain. Um, so, yeah. I wonder sometimes, if, and not even just, just people of color, but people that don't do this kind of thing don't necessarily understand that there are times that are really hard, even for those of us that are, like, really experienced and might not get that that's, that's just part of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just, yeah. It's like, you know, yeah, I, I can see how that might, you know, might, might be a barrier that people just don't know, you know, that, that, that yeah, some, everyone suffers. <laughs> There's suffering in this. That's part of it, yeah. you know. I mean, it's what the time to fun is. Exactly. It's not fun at the moment sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or just the idea that, you know, every outdoor experience isn't an Instagram reel of like walking along the trail and like short snippets with beautiful music. Like, you know, like that's not necessarily always the outdoor reality. Yeah. So. And you, and you can't smell on Instagram. So that definitely takes away (laughs) a whole part of the experience of being in the outdoors. Yeah. There's a lot of pieces of the outdoors like totally glamorized. So I, I find a lot of truth in that where it's like, you know, this summer when on one of my mountains that I climbed, I fell so many times coming down. Like I was exhausted and it wasn't like dangerous falls. So they were fine. It was like on soft snow on the lower mountain. And I come down and I'm like, wow, I'm really glad I summited. I like probably only fell 20 times. And my guide looked at me and he was like, Nashra you fell like 80 times, like at least round up a little. He's like, you fell your whole way down the mountain. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, I guess I fall up mountains and down mountains, but I climbed it. <laughs> um, so being able to say like, yeah, that was not glamorous at all falling on my face. <laughs> yeah. So not sure. obviously yeah. this is a fundraising event. Um, why don't you tell us more about that and how people can do it, where they can find it what they can, and what they can do. Yeah, thank you so much. I um, I think that the biggest thing people don't realize is like every dollar goes such a long way. With the American Lung Association, 88 to 90 cents of every dollar goes directly to programmatic work. And so $5 does make a huge difference. Um, so I would encourage folks to just start talking about it. A word of mouth goes really far when it comes to just like finding those individuals who do have that wealth to donate um, and sharing it with in spaces that, you know, it's like you want someone to bring your name to the table and what those opportunities are. Um, so I tell people, like, 
tell three to five people. Like this week, just go out and talk to three to five people about this amazing climb that we're trying to do um, and the amazing cause. And then, you know, if you can donate five to $10, it'll go a long way. We honor corporate matches. So a lot of the time, if you work at one of the matching corporate air, uh, companies, you're d instantly doubling efforts, which is really amazing. So I think the call to action would be like, talk about it as much as you can and um, definitely, you know, do do your part in maybe sharing with friends our link or donating what you can. Why not just make a pitch for the American Lung Association? You know what I mean? Why, I mean, obviously it's a great organization, but tell us all why it's such a great place, you know, to donate to and, and all the great work they're doing. So much of what the American Lung Association is working on is definitely COVID-19 research. And we, as an organization, funded one of the research projects that found the protein for the mRNA vaccine. So it's like, this is not work that's happening on a national scale. Like, this is affecting us in our backyards, in our own homes, on a regular basis. You know, people don't necessarily know that the American Lung Association even has a place, like, in Seattle or Oregon, they, you know, they think of it more as a headquarters piece, but it's like our team here in Seattle is actively changing filters in people's homes to make sure they, that they are having filtered healthier air. So it's like, this is impacting so many people. Um, it's groundbreaking research. There's a huge degree of advocacy and critical education that that money goes to. It, so in so many ways, you're indirectly providing just life-saving treatments for quality of life for individuals who are suffering with lung disease. And that's 36 million Americans alone. That's not some arbitrary number internationally. It's like, at least, you know, I've, I've met so many people who just have asthma. And so when you think of that 36 million, that's a huge number um, of people who have to deal with lung disease on a daily basis. Um, so every donation really just takes us that much closer to even pretending or envisioning that there is this world free of lung disease. Yeah. And also, too, I just for fundraising, just a reminder that for everyone who uh, donates $100 in the month of March, they get $100 off an escape or one of our, our Women in Whitewater trip for adventurous women. And if you donate um, over $1,000, that we're going to do a drawing for $500 off. So uh, definitely head on over. We'll have links in the show notes to figure out how you can direct uh, donate directly to the Women of Color Summit. Thank you so much for being such strong advocates. I, I feel like we need uh, the allyship in, in these spaces. So I really appreciate you all um, asking me to be here. No, of course. It's great. Um, and do you have like a social media sites, uh, you know, links? It'll all be in the show notes, of course, but, you know, and we'll share it. But, but tell everyone where they can find you, find the Lung Association everything that you're all the amazing stuff you're doing how can how can people find it awesome so the climb for clean air has this own little facebook group and their own little instagram that you can follow and kind of see updates across all of the climbers and all of the mountains that they're doing but for our team uh, we did you know create this logo and like created our own instagram hoping that you know this carries forward um so that people can be involved outside of the fundraising piece um and that is woc dot who's dot summit so women of color abbreviated who summit that's kind of our team name um and so follow us we we try to do our best to post all about the events post how we're training or um how we're 
we wish we were training. Um, and then we also try to share as much as we can just to educate people about really what is what is the issues with DEI in the outdoor spaces and why the outdoors are really for everyone. That's great. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. It's been so great talking to you. Yeah, I love what you're doing. Yeah, this has been great. Thank you so much. And thank you for all the support. Thank you, Nashra. Well, that's going to do it for us. Please make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast and follow us on social media on Instagram at almost there underscore AP or the almost there adventure podcast on Facebook. You can find Severia at adventure us women. That's adventure us women, Jeff at the SoCal hiker or me at the Muir project. Our title track almost there is performed by Opus Orange and is provided courtesy of Emoto. For more about this episode and all of our others, make sure to check out the show notes on our website, almostthereadventurepodcast.com. On the next episode, we talk to author Steph Jagger. As always, thanks for listening.